Leith Anderson tells a story of an unusual bike race in India. The object of this race is to go the shortest distance possible in a specified time. Everyone lines up at the starting line, and when the starter's gun goes off, the cyclists do their best to stay put. If a racer's foot touches the ground or if they tip over, they're disqualified from the race. Now, as the rider, you must figure out how to inch forward enough to keep the bike balanced, but not enough to pass the other riders. And once the time is up, they fire a finishing gun, and the person who went the farthest is the loser, and the person closest to the starting line is the winner. What a backwards race, right? It's the opposite of what we expect. Uh, think of the Sermon on the Mount being like a strange bike race in India. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus offers life in the kingdom of God, but the pattern of life it requires is not what we expect. This morning, we begin a new series on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and this series will take us through the month of November. And what the Sermon on the Mount will show us is what the genuine lifestyle of a disciple looks like in the kingdom of God. It explains the new behavior pattern of disciples entering the new kingdom. Now, whether you've been a Christian for over 70 years or if you are new to the Christian faith, whether you've your doctorate in theology or if you're considering becoming a Christian for the first time, here's a promise I can make you. If you have ears to hear and a heart ready to practice Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teachings will change your life. I promise, Jesus' teachings will change your life if you practice them. Let's just kind of jump into the text here. I want you to listen to Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. It's a familiar text. It's the Beatitudes. Now listen closely. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice! Be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, as you heard the text, your ear immediately picked up on the theme of this passage, the blessed life. This word blessed, it's an ancient term. Uh, English translators have always struggled to communicate the idea accurately because here's the problem. The idea in Greek doesn't have an English equivalent. Uh, this word uh, in Greek it's hard to match it with something that's familiar with us in the Western culture. So let's do a little homework to understand what Jesus is saying when he uses this word, blessed. Now, as you read through the scripture, especially the Old Testament, 
you discover that this idea of blessed has a close friend that hangs around with it all the time. In fact, often, where you find blessed, you will also meet his friend, curse. They go hand in hand in the Old Testament. For example, when you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 to 68, it opens in verses 1 through 14 with the list of God's promises. And God tells Israel that he will bless them if they obey his commands. Well, what is the blessing God promises Israel if they obey? Now, we think of blessings as security or comfort. Uh, We think of blessings when we're surprised with good news that makes our lives better. But God tells us what the blessing is. In fact, in the very next chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 29, listen to what it says in verses 12 to 13. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God. A covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath. Now catch this. To confirm you this day as his people that he may be your God as he promised you. What's the blessing? The blessing is fellowship with God. The blessing, God will bless Israel by being their God. The blessing is having a relationship with God and being able to enjoy God, which was God's plan from the beginning in the Garden of Eden. So the blessing is relationship with God. So what's the curse? Well, as we know from, the, uh, from Adam and Eve's experience in the Garden of Eden, when humanity disobeys God, they are cursed. And this idea of cursed, it means to cut off from a relationship with God. Well, it's the same in Deuteronomy chapter 28. After talking about blessings for 14 verses, guess who shows up in verses 15 through 68? Blessings friend, curse. If Israel breaks the commands of God, Israel will be cut off from God. And that's precisely what happens, isn't it? All you have to do is read First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, the Minor and the Major Prophets, and you will read about the evil that Israel committed and how God kept his promise. He cut off Israel from his presence. See, at the time of Jesus, when Jesus is walking the earth, God has been silent. He has been cut off from Israel for 400 years. The curse. Well, in the time of Christ, in fact, a time before Jesus was even born, there's a group of religious leaders known as the Pharisees, and they wanted to lead God's people back to God. Now, initially, they did this by returning to God's word and living out God's word. But over time, the Pharisees started to add rules to God's word. Their thinking was that by adding these rules, this stricter way of life, that God would be pleased and he would come back to Israel and break his silence. Now, when I say they added rules to God's word, I don't mean they added three or four rules. The Pharisees created 613 human-made rules. 613. These rules became a curse 
on the necks of the Jews. In fact, it was such a burden to the Jews, most Jews thought it was impossible to ever have a relationship with God any longer because the weight of the Pharisees' rules were so heavy upon them that they were like, it's impossible to connect with God again. Well, here comes Jesus. And Jesus, like a prophet, he has a word for the crowd that's following him. The crowd is hungry to be with God again. And so Jesus begins to speak. And in just 10 verses, 10 verses, he gives the crowd eight values. Did you hear that? Just eight, not 800, but eight values that will bring the blessings of God back to his people. Let's take a quick quick quiz. What is the blessing obedience brings God's people? What did we learn earlier? We learned that the blessing is God's presence. And God tells them in 10 verses, here is how you can receive the blessing of God's presence. Now listen to the list again in Matthew 5, 3 to 12. Here are the eight values. Poverty of spirit, mournful, meekness, a hunger and thirst for righteousness, mercy, purity of heart, a peacemaking spirit, a willingness to be persecuted for the sake of Jesus. As I shared that list, were you shocked? Listen to the list again, and do you notice anything unusual? Blessed are the poor in spirit. These are broken people who are no longer in control of their lives. In fact, their circumstances have broken them to the point that they're desperate for God to protect them. They're desperate for God to deliver them. An example is Psalm 69, 32 to 33. How about the next one? Blessed are those who mourn. Well, they mourn because they recognize what sin has cost them. They recognize what sin has cost them in pain, in consequences, in emptiness. And they mourn, they grieve over their sin. Romans chapter 7, 24 to 25. Blessed are the meek. The meek. People who have learned to submit to difficult experiences and difficult people allowing the difficulties to break their pride, allowing the difficulties to break their self-sufficiency. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, Matthew eleven twenty-nine. 29. Here's the next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hmm, do you hear the desire in that? The desire in an unholy world that these people have their desire is to live a holy life, no matter how foolish, no matter how unsophisticated their holy living appears to an unholy world. They want holiness above all else. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. They want holiness even if they look foolish. Blessed are the merciful. Uh, this idea of mercy is about more than simply forgiving people. It's the willingness to step into the mess of another person's life to help relieve the burden of sin that they are carrying. 
If you want a great word picture, if you want a great story of what this type of mercy looks like, you don't have to go any further than the story of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan who gets into the messiness of the Jewish traveler who was beaten, bloodied, and robbed. Just go read Luke 10 and you see what it looks like. Blessed are the pure in heart. It's a heart that is devoted to one purpose. The commitment to do the will of the Lord, no matter what it costs the disciple of Jesus. Psalm chapter 24, verses 4 to 6. Blessed are the peacemakers. We think this means those people who are good at conflict resolution. That's a part of it, but it's more than that. A peacemaker is committed to helping people enter a peace with God through Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 to 21. A peacemaker is a person who talks about Jesus with others so that person can get reconciled with God through Jesus Christ. The peacemaker is an evangelist, someone who talks to others about Jesus. And finally, blessed are those persecuted for the sake of Jesus. The person who is blessed with the presence of God is one who is so loyal to Jesus' way of life. They know, they know persecution will come upon them as disciples of Jesus, but they say Jesus is worth it all. They have such loyalty to Jesus that they will struggle through anything to remain faithful to him. John chapter 15, verse 18, Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Did you notice anything unusual about this list as I explained each value? These values, these values sound more like curses than blessings, don't they? Aren't these qualities that we raise our children to avoid? There's a discomfort that comes with these kingdom values. Do you feel that? It's the same discomfort the Pharisees felt as Jesus spoke about these eight values. Now, why would these kingdom values make the Pharisees so uncomfortable? Well, the Pharisees thought they had a relationship with God because of their righteousness in keeping their 613 rules. Because they kept them, they thought they were the ones who had the relationship with God. They believed that they were the few, the proud, the Pharisees who walked with God. And then here comes Jesus offering a relationship with God to the many. Jesus is offering a relationship uh, uh, with God to the crowd, ordinary people. In that crowd were corrupt business leaders, failed sinners, women, non-Jews, even children. And Jesus invites the crowd to enter in to the kingdom of God. Well, not surprisingly, the Pharisees are furious because the Beatitudes challenge the Pharisees' special position in the kingdom. Jesus is offering the kingdom to undeserving people. He's offering the kingdom to undeserving people like you and like me. If they were honest with themselves, even the Pharisees were a mess like the crowd. 
You know, you'd never guess it by looking at the faces of the Pharisees. They made sure to look pious and righteous and holy, all decked out in fancy robes, religious regalia, practicing their disciplines to look holy as different from regular people. But all their religious talk, all their religious actions, their appearance, they were nothing but a mask. A mask hiding their real condition. See, Jesus is telling them that the condition of the Pharisees is no different than the broken. No different than the sinful crowd. The Pharisees were just really good at hiding their brokenness behind their religious mask. Do you know the name given to people? Wearing masks to pretend being what they are not? Well, in Scripture, the name is hypocrite. An actor, an imposter. That is what the Pharisees were. And Jesus calls them out on it through these eight eight values. Let's just look at the eight values again. The Pharisees pretended to be poor in spirit. Though pretending to be poor, the Pharisees used their religion to get rich by imposing religious fines on struggling sinners. The Pharisees pretended to mourn by twisting their face to look sad. Um, They would twist their face to look sad, uh, pretending to really care about the brokenness of the world. You see, the Pharisees would groan and they would whine in public as they fasted from food. And yet behind their mask, they are anticipating the party they would have at home with their families, over T-bone steaks. You see, as long as they were rich and powerful, the Pharisees didn't care if the world was broken. They hid behind a mask. They pretended to be meek. They pretended to be gentle and merciful, but they were ravenous wolves preying on the helplessness of sinners for personal profit. The Pharisees were so low that they would schmooze the rich widows to get them to scratch the names of their own children off their wills so the Pharisees could inherit the wealth of the widow. The Pharisees, they presented themselves as role models of righteousness. In fact, the Pharisees would often brag about their ancestors who died for the faith. But when they, when they were personally threatened with death for their faith, They simply bribed their enemies to save their hide. The Pharisees also bragged about being peacemakers. And yet the Pharisees assassinated the prince of peace, Jesus. You see, there's only one word that accurately describes the Pharisees, and that word is hypocrites. And Jesus calls them out. Now, if your blood is boiling over the Pharisees' hypocrisy, be careful. Because in the church, we are also good at wearing masks. Let me rephrase that. I am also good at wearing masks. In fact, look at these eight values again. When we aren't in control of life and we need help, guess what? We don't want people to know quite often. And so we wear a mask. When we mourn because of sin we get ourselves entangled in, we don't want people to know. 
so we wear a mask. When we are weak in dealing with a difficult struggle or difficult people, we don't want people to know that, so we wear a mask. When it's easier to follow the lead of an unholy world than to be odd in being holy, we don't want people to know, so we wear a mask. When we're scared or too busy to step into another person's messy life because it's hard, it's demanding, we don't want people to know, so we wear a mask. When Jesus wants more from us than we are willing to give him, we don't want people to know that, so we wear a mask. Talking with others about Jesus? Oh man, that scares us to death. We don't want people to know that, so we wear a mask. When being a Christian publicly increases the risk of being rejected, taunted, or hurt, we don't want people to know, so we wear a mask. When we deny the actual condition of our life of discipleship with Jesus, we will work hard to hide behind a mask so it looks like nothing is wrong. But church, catch this. A true disciple of Jesus, they admit how far they are from God. And instead of being defeated by the reality of their condition, they turn to God in Christ and they cry out, Lord, help me. I can't do it myself. Come, Lord Jesus, strengthen me. Show me how to go forward. And you know what happens when disciples cry for help? from Jesus? Jesus. Jesus, the King of the kingdom of God. He comes and he blesses his disciples with his presence. With Jesus, you are always safe to drop your mask because with Jesus, he's your king. And he is waiting for you to enter into his kingdom.